Thank you very much. Well done. I'm not going to reference any of those. Right. So it's probably, I think, the most familiar storyline of any book or film where your hero-to-be starts out life in some sort of mundane, normal, boring position, then some opportunity or challenge strikes, and they are forced to go on some kind of adventure. It might be something they go eagerly into or reluctantly. Along the way, they make some new friends, make enemies, there are lots of highs and several lows, until finally they get to the end of their journey. There's some kind of mighty final battle. All hope seems lost before they're able to pluck victory from the jaws of defeat and win the day. Then they get to go home in glory and hopefully live happily ever after at least until the sequel comes out, in which case they have to go through the whole thing all over again. Now, it's a bit cliched, but the reason, I think, one of the reasons why we see so many of stories like that is because it does actually reflect many sort of aspects of our lives. We may not have quite so much glamour uh, or drama in our lives to make a story out of, although there are people here I know who have some pretty dramatic stories. But the idea that actually we have something that comes to us that we need to try and complete, that it doesn't always go smoothly, things go well and things go badly, and then hopefully at the end we do actually get some measure of success of what we were trying to do. That's something that we face, you know, in all walks of our lives. It could be something, you know, really big or it could be something small. It could be a work or community project. It could be during lockdown that you've finally decided to tackle that DIY or garden job that you've been meaning to do for months or years. It could be learning a new skill or passing an exam or whatever that counts for exams these days. It could be chasing after that girl or guy of your dreams. It could be building a relationship or a family, raising children, caring for a relative or friend who's unwell. It could be protecting the environment or fighting for a cause that you really care about. Or perhaps it's just getting from the beginning of the day to the end of the day with your nerves intact. Whatever it is, I'm sure there are many different sort of projects or challenges or um, opportunities that you have in your life right now or that you've had over this last year. So I wonder if you take a moment to think, what, what are the current pressing challenges that you have? What would you consider to be your great journey or, you know, series of many journeys that you are on? If you were, if someone was to write the book of Nehemiah about you, what would they be writing about? And where would you put yourself along that journey? Are you right at the beginning? Are you somewhere in the middle, maybe on a high or a low or tangled around and a bit lost? Are you right at the end where you know one more big heave to get over the finish line? Or have you got there finally and you're in the moment of, yes, finally it's done, like Nehemiah was in our passage this morning? If you've been with us these last few weeks, we know we've been looking through the whole book of Nehemiah and he has had this massive challenge to rebuild Jerusalem, which was destroyed during the occupation. It starts with a massive challenge. He has to go and ask the king or the conquering king for permission to go and rebuild the city. He then rides that wave as he not only gets permission, but he gets all the resources he needs. 
He gets to Jerusalem. All the people of Israel who are still living there, all the small remnant, they sort of welcome him, throw themselves into the rebuilding. Then there's loads of opposition. The enemies around don't want the walls rebuilt, so they start to oppose him. He has to get through internal struggle when he discovers that the rich people in Jerusalem have basically been ripping off the poor. And then he has to face external struggle and all the builders are working armed. He then has to face down sort of plots that are trying to kill him. Um, He then has to get all the people once the walls are built to move back into the city. There's this amazing high when they find the book of Moses and they open it up and read it out to all the people. And there's this great sort of acceptance, re-acceptance of God's message. And then finally, after all of that time, we get through to today's passage where there is a great celebration of all that has been completed. Now, as we're sort of thinking about this, I can imagine there are sort of two objections that people might have. The first one being when you look at your life, you think, well, you know, my life's pretty mundane, really. It's pretty boring. There's nothing really going on, major. There's no real adventures in what I'm doing right now. I just get up, go to work, and then go to bed, and that's about it. Where's the great excitement there? And in that case, I think we need to remember that actually we are all part of God's big story. We did a whole sermon series on that, I think, a while ago. And every one of us is a unique part of the body of God. And every one of us then has been called into a specific role and position. Now, some roles and some work might literally be the stuff of stories. And there's plenty of stories in the bookshop of people who have done amazing things as part of their life with God. But many won't necessarily have that same drama. But that doesn't mean they're any less of God. As Paul uh, wrote in 2 Timothy, he has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose. And grace. For we are God's handiwork, he wrote in Ephesians, created in Christ Jesus to do the work which God prepared for us in advance. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean an angel is going to come blazing out of heaven, knock on your door, and say, Now, this is what God has for you to do. It might happen like that. And if it does, do let me know. That sounds like an interesting story. But in my experience, that hasn't happened. It might be that God calls you to step out into some new challenge and you know, step forward and push into something that you've never done before. But it equally and maybe more likely is to do that which you are already doing, which God has already put in your hands. In which case we need to remember that we work at it as a co-laborer with God. I think one of the easiest traps of the enemy to fall into is to take God out of the mundane and to think that God only sort of lives in some kind of supernatural, amazing feeling on a top of a mountain and that God doesn't live in the grind of daily life, of the school run, of work, of trying to get enough sleep, of cooking dinner, of whatever it is. So if you do feel like that, and it's something that I know I feel like a lot of the time, where is God in my day-to-day life? then let's take the opportunity or I invite you to ask God to open your eyes to what he is doing and the opportunities that you have to step out. The second objection is that you might think, well, it's all right for those in stories. They normally get a happy ending. But there's no happy endings going on in my life right now. I don't get to celebrate success. I just have to mourn failures. 
And if you do feel like that, then it's important to realize that the kind of celebration we see in Nehemiah this morning is not something that we should expect to happen every day. After all, it has taken Nehemiah 12 chapters to get to this point. It wasn't there in chapter one. Right back at the beginning of the year, I had the uh, pleasure of speaking in the first service and we would spoke on what Adrian called the verse for the year. Anyone remember what it was? I wonder if I should put someone on the spot. Maybe the vicar? <laughs> it was Hebrews 12 verse 2. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. That was the joy that fuels our faith and lets us endure suffering. And maintaining that joy is a daily discipline that we need to work at no matter what our circumstances. That is the joy that we can still have from Jesus, even when life is bad. And if that is a message that you think you need to hear again, then I think it's still on the church website. Or if you really like watching me walk around, I think it's even still on YouTube. You can go and watch it. That joy is a daily pursuit. But that doesn't mean that we should be celebrating from the tops of the walls each morning. After all, Jesus did not celebrate when he saw the sick and the hurting and the lost. He didn't celebrate when he came across death. He didn't celebrate as he was walking to the cross. There is a time for celebration, but there is also a time for weeping. And when we are in the lows, we still have things to remember. Hebrews 6, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. And we can be confident of this, says Paul in Philippians, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. So we do not work at something alone. We do not work with our own flesh and blood, but by the spirit of the one who sent us. And on the cross, he won for us a victory that goes above and beyond anything. And so even if you feel right now, you have nothing to celebrate. Then I would say to you, seek the joy that allows you to withstand and endure. And as Hebrews writes it, Hold unswervingly to the hope we possess. For he who has promised is faithful. And there will come a day when your, he will turn your mourning into dancing and remove your sackcloth and clothe you with joy, that your heart may sing his praises and not be silent. And then when that happens, when that guarantee of firm hope happens, we have something to celebrate. Then we need to let that out. It is our part of our, what it means to live as a people of God, that when we do see God move, that we express it back to God. So let's look at Nehemiah's celebration and see what lessons we can learn. The first thing I think that jumps out to me from this passage is community. The people came together to work. When 
Nehemiah arrives at Jerusalem and all the people are there. They gather together to start the work, each person building the bit of the wall in front of their own house. And then once, once it's done, Nehemiah starts to seek out all the people. He goes to the villages around it and finds the Levites. He goes and tries tracks down all the musicians. He doesn't just walk around himself. He draws all the people in, anyone he can find, all the officials, the leaders of Judah, the normal people. He pulls them in towards Jerusalem. This really reminds me of the, uh, the end of the parable of the lost sheep. If you remember that, the guy, the shepherd loses the sheep. He goes and finds it after a long search. And when he does, we read that when the shepherd finds the sheep, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbours together and says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. We are all part of the same body, the body of this church, the body of Christ. We are there to support one another when things are difficult. But we are also here to celebrate with one another when God completes something. When God does a work in someone's life and brings something to success, we all should celebrate it, even if it doesn't affect us directly. And this really has been one of the challenges of the pandemic, has been to keep together as a community when we are forced to be separate. And so if you have something to celebrate, maybe there are some people here this morning who are watching online who know that actually in the last month, God has done something in your life that is worthy of celebration. And if so, share it. Normally at this point, I'd say we could let's get a microphone and bring everyone up and we can all encourage one another. We can't really do that now, but if you've, you're online, put it in the chat. If you're not online, then maybe after the service, type it in or send an email or something that we can celebrate with one another God's work because we don't want to start forgetting just because we can't all meet together and speak that somehow what God is doing is you know isolated and that we don't bring come together as a body and as a community to share that we need each other so yeah even if you don't have something to celebrate yourself you can still gain encouragement from what God is doing in other lives and join in with them. The second lesson then I draw from this passage is about purity. The passage pretty much starts in verse 30, when the priests and Levites had purified themselves ceremonially. They purified the people, the gates and the wall. Before the celebration starts, before anything else happens, the people are purified before God. We do not celebrate sort of distant from God, but rather we come into God's courts, face to face with him. And for that, well, as the psalmist writes in Psalm 24, who may ascend the mountain of the Lord, who may stand in his holy place, the one who has clean hearts and a pure heart, clean hands and a pure heart. But that's a bit of a problem because, well, we don't by ourselves. None of us are righteous can come before God. But we are washed by Jesus' blood. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have this confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and the full assurance that faith brings. That's what we come before God in. So really, it's before you come, if you have something to celebrate, then part of this discipline of bringing it back to God is to remember to take that moment to you know, 
to, to wash ourselves clean before God. It's not something that we can do um, without thought. But to really chase after living that, that, that moment where we can confess our sins and be cleansed. It's a, a challenge which is, you know, to take celebration seriously. It's not just something that we come here on a Sunday, sing a few songs and think, oh yeah, that was great. This was actually a challenge to do something that was uh, momentous, that was a sort of line in the sand to say, this is us acknowledging what God has done as a community, but also to notice that this was a holy God who has done something in our lives. And that, does, that means we have to take steps. And the final feature of Nehemiah's celebration that I wanted to highlight was really how public it was. You know, the, the final verse of the passage read was that the sound of rejoicing in Jerusalem could be heard far away. Our celebration bears witness to God's faithfulness and goodness. It shows that the hope we have does not disappoint, that our living and active God does do what he says he is going to do, that he does bring about his will in our lives. I mean, part of the idea of the Gateway Project, right, was that what we did in here would be easier to show to the people in our town. So if you have something to celebrate, it's part of your testimony part of your witness to those in your, your neighbours and your friends and those around you, when you do give that glory back to God. Of course, that doesn't mean we should wait. We can only testify about God when we have success. Not at all. In fact, I think testifying that when you, we are hanging on to hope, that we are clinging on to that joy that endures in the difficult times, is just as powerful, maybe even more powerful. And when you put that, when people see that, when you were struggling, when you were in the low parts of your journey, that you still hung on to God, and then they see you celebrating because God came through for you when he, what he promised was then completed, they see that this was someone, a God who promised and completed and was with you the whole way through your journey. That's like living a life of testimony towards God. It's, not, it's far more than just inviting someone to an Alpha course, although there's nothing wrong with that, please do it. But you know, the whole way that your life then testifies to what God has done through you. That's why these things shouldn't just be done in a church building like this. We, okay, we have to do things outside at the moment. Good, right? That's a good thing. Get us out of just somewhere where we're hidden and to testify to those around us that actually God did something for us, that we were finding life tough, but somehow we had something to cling on to. And then, hallelujah, our God saves. He was faithful, and now look what he has done for me. So let your cry for hope and your song of praise both be your testimony that God lives and is faithful. So as I, uh, as I finish, I thought, take a moment uh, to think, what, what do we say? This, as Adrian said, this was our last Sunday on Nehemiah. So it is right, our last Sunday. What is the, what can we say at the end of this journey? Well, really for us as a country and as a town, as a community, we're not at the end, right? We're right at the beginning. We've picked this theme of rebuilding for obvious reasons, 
And we have not really started that rebuilding yet. We are still surveying the damage. We're like Nehemiah riding around the walls of Jerusalem, looking at the damage, looking at all the work, not knowing what's going to happen, not knowing if it's going to be even possible, what the future is going to hold. There's so much uncertainty about you know, new variants and the winter and what is even going to happen uh, over the next month. But they, we know there is going to be a great challenge. There is this challenge to rebuild. And this is the challenge that we have as a church. There's this slogan, political slogan, build back better. But that does not mean we should think we should just be sitting back and thinking, well, we'll let the government deal with it. Their job is to rebuild. This is what God does. God rebuilds. He redeems. He takes the broken down things and builds something beautiful from them of our lives and in our community. And so this is a challenge for us as a church. What are we going to do in this time of rebuilding? Are we just going to sit back and let others do it? This is what we got, what God has given us to do. And when we come to rebuilding, we must make sure that we don't just think, oh, we've got our Sunday services all back again. Uh, What congregation numbers? Yeah, we've got them back to pre-pandemic levels. Good, we have rebuilt this church. That is not what God wants us to be doing. We need to be looking at the lives of those around us in our community, finding the areas that are broken, because that's where God is going to be, just as much as in this particular building and community. He is going to be out in our neighborhoods, looking for those people whose lives have been destroyed and thinking, how can we build something for them? That's what God calls us to do. And that is a great challenge. And as Nehemiah at the beginning, I don't know how it's going to happen. I have no idea how I'm going to back up anything I just said with actual actions. But I do know that our God is faithful, that he is powerful and able, and he is going to be standing out there with his hand out to us. And that by his strength, over the coming years, we will have so much to celebrate for all that he has done, that the sound of our rejoicing will be heard far away. That's my prayer. Are you up for it?